You're listening to the Course Report Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Course Report is the most complete resource for coding boot camps. On our site, we have thousands of reviews, hundreds of interviews, and a full directory of every coding boot camp around the world. On our podcast, we're sharing everything you need to stay up to date on this blossoming industry. Whether you're a bootcamp founder or a future student, we hope you'll learn something on the Course Report podcast. All right, welcome to the Coding Bootcamp News Roundup. I'm Liz. And I'm Imogen. And we are from the Course Report team, and each month we round up all of the most interesting bootcamp industry news that Imogen and I read and chatted about in the Course Report office. And we rounded it all up, and we're going to share it with you. So Imogen, what are we going to talk about today? So in July, we saw a few schools raising money, and one loan provider also raised money, so we'll talk about that. Some publications also looked at the status of the coding bootcamp industry and the future of edtech as a whole. And we'll tell you all about the latest initiatives to increase diversity in tech, including scholarships and apprenticeships. And then on top of that, a number of companies like Twitter and huge NYC uh, finance companies are partnering with coding bootcamps or upskilling their workers in-house, which is really interesting. And then we'll look at the sort of jobs you can land after boot camp and some tips for maximizing your success at coding boot camp. And we'll run down all the new coding boot camps, campuses and courses which launched in July, including the schools we recently added to course report. Okay, so we've got a lot to cover. So let's start with some fundraise news. Imogen, what coding boot camp raised the most money in July? So Miami Herald reports that Ironhack Coding Bootcamp has raised $4 million to expand the business across Europe and Latin America and launch income share agreements. Ironhack has now raised a total of $7 million in outside investment and currently has 11 campuses across the US, Central and South America and Europe. And then in more coverage of the fundraise, Ed Surge profiled a graduate of Ironhack in Miami who couldn't find a good job after college, then enrolled at Ironhack and is now a front-end developer for Opus Depot. Congratulations to Ironhack. And in the Middle East, Coded has raised $1.3 million in a pre-Series A round to offer more of its coding boot camps, which they call Barmej Online Boot Camps. Coded is four years old now, and according to this article, the boot camp has over 200,000 users on eight different free learning tracks that offer multiple programming languages and technologies. And then Climb Credit, a provider of loans for career-focused education like coding boot camps, has raised $9.8 million in a Series A round. The fundraise was led by Third Prime and New Markets Venture Partners. Climb says it has originated more than $100 million in loans to more than 11,000 students since they launched in 2014. And in our research, we find that Climb Credit funds about 23% of all bootcamp loans. So they're certainly a big player in this market, along with Skills Fund. That's kind of the other big one. So congrats to Climb. And then talking about financing bootcamps, income share agreements are back in the news in July. Liz, tell us about a new bill around income share agreements introduced to the Senate in July. 
Yeah, this is a huge one. We've kind of been hinting at this over the last few months, and we finally got this bill introduced. Inside Higher Ed and Forbes both covered the new ISA bill. It's called the ISA Student Protection Act, and it was introduced by Senator Todd Young, who's an Indiana Republican, Marco Rubio, a Florida Republican, and then Virginia Democrat Mark Warner and Delaware Democrat Chris Coons. So it's being called a bipartisan bill, but some skeptics do say that the agreements offer students just a different kind of debt. I think this bill is doing a lot to try to offer some uh, regulation and student protection around those. Since this is an important bill, I just want to go through it at high, you know, on a high level. And basically, the most important parts of it are that individuals making less than 200% of the federal poverty level will be exempt from making payments towards their ISA. ISA providers can't make agreements with students that require payments higher than 20% of their income for shorter term contracts. And funders have to disclose to students how their monthly payments would compare under the ISA to payments on a private or federal loan for the same amount of money and number of payments. Other things, it applies some of these like federal consumer protection laws to ISAs. And um, overall, it's, you know, not, I don't think a perfect bill, but it is definitely kind of addressing the some of the worries that people have around ISAs and some like just establishing some student protection around them. So uh, we will be excited to see how that evolves and we'll keep you updated. Well, thanks so much for explaining all of that, Liz. It sounds pretty complicated. Super complicated, but yeah. Yeah. Um, But important because as we know, Imogen, like we talk to so many schools about their ISAs. Everyone has nuanced ISAs, different terms. It's difficult for students to wade through it. So it is important to have some regulation around it. Yeah, well, I think you explained it very clearly. Thank you. And talking of ISAs, five schools have launched new income share agreements this month. Masai School in Bengaluru, India, which covers full-stack web development, has launched an income share agreement for their students. North Coders in the UK is launching a deferred tuition ISA-type payment program for women. Then Gainesville Dev Academy in Florida has launched an income share agreement in partnership with LEAF. Burlington Code Academy in Vermont is launching an income share agreement. And General Assembly is now offering their income share agreement in New York City. This is significant because in the past, coding boot camps have faced issues in launching ISAs in New York City. Very interesting. And in Ventures Africa, I read about Lambda School's partnership with a Nigerian payment company to launch their ISA, an online program in Africa. We've talked about that expansion into Africa for Lambda School in the past, but got some really good details here. So Lambda graduates are going to pay back 10% of their salary for five years once they're earning more than $15,000 annually. And just remember, for comparison purposes, that in the U.S., the Lambda ISA is powered by LEAF, and students pay up to $30,000 for for that same education. And then the article reports that 86% of Lambda school graduates are hired within 180 days of completing the program. And then speaking of income share agreements, Nerd Wallet looks at how to pay for coding bootcamp with a list of options, including using an ISA, attending an equip program school, applying for scholarships, attending a school with a tuition guarantee, using GI Bill benefits, and more. The article incorrectly states, however, that no coding bootcamps qualify for financial aid. 
We know of a number of coding boot camps which have actually partnered with universities and do qualify for federal financial aid. And a number of boot camp programs in Canada are also now eligible for local student aid programs. That is a good point, Imogen. Good fact check. So coding boot camps have been around for about six years now. So we're constantly looking back, asking ourselves how they're doing and trying to understand how they'll fit into the future of this ed tech space. Imogen, tell us what the Software Developer Times has to say about the popularity of boot camps these days. Yeah, so the Software Development Times looks at the popularity of coding boot camps and MOOCs, massive online open courses, mentioning why they are attractive to learners and citing lots of course report stats. Reporter Jacob Lukovics looks at how affordable coding boot camps are compared with university degrees and explores the popularity of corporate training for businesses looking to upskill their workers. Jacob looks at how coding boot camps are growing and mentions recent multi-million dollar fundraisers by schools like Lambda School and Trilogy Education. I love that Jacob looks into corporate training in that article. We're about to release our market sizing report this year, and there is some really interesting stuff in there about corporate training as well. So um, excited to hear about that. And over on Forbes, contributor Derek Newton looks at the current status of tech hire with regards to coding boot camps. So this might be a bit esoteric um, because we haven't heard about tech hire in a while. But if you've ever wanted an update on tech hire, this is the article for you. Uh, Super interesting. Remember that tech hire was a $150 million grant program um, in the Obama administration that was aimed at getting more people from less advantaged backgrounds into the doors of coding programs like coding boot camps or on other technology career paths. And this piece is kind of a post-mortem. They do a good look at how the uh, Software Guild and LaGuardia program is working about a year in and um, things seem to be going well. And then in an opinion piece for IBL News, Mikkel Amigot looks at the launch of a lot of new ed tech companies in 2013 and how that surge might be waning. He looks at how from late 2011 to 2012, we saw the launch of Coursera, Udacity, and Flatiron School. He posits that colleges and universities have been anti-innovation engines and thinks higher education institutes and businesses need to think differently in response to the demands of lifelong learners. And in a similar vein, UVA's Director of Online Learning, Kristen Palmer, wrote a guest post for CIO applications about how in the 21st century, people need to be continuously learning to remain current in technology. She mentions online learning programs, MOOCs, and coding boot camps, and looks at some huge investments in ed tech in the U.S. and China. And then something we like to highlight regularly is the increase of initiatives to help more women and diverse students get into tech. So Liz, tell us about the current status of women in STEM careers. So HR Dive looks at how more men than women hold degrees in or work in STEM across the U.S. And in fact, it found that no state had more women than men working in STEM fields. This is something that we can feel if we just look around, but this this article has some nice uh, stats there. And they also look at initiatives to help change that. The Flatiron School and SeatGeek, for example, have partnered to give away up to $200,000 in scholarships to women who apply to their 50-50 scholarship program. Um, and they announced that in March. So take a look at that if you are a woman who wants to go to Flatiron in school. And then Full Stack Academy and the Grace Hopper program are committing $90,000 to the LGBTQ plus tech community. 
If students win a Lesbians Who Tech ED Windsor coding scholarship, Full Second Grace Hopper will cover half of the tuition for students to attend one of the coding boot camps. Other coding boot camps like Codesmith, Flatiron School, Lambda School and Career Foundry also work with Lesbians Who Tech to provide scholarships to students. That sounds like a really neat scholarship. And The Guardian this month looked at whether coding clubs and boot camps can diversify tech. They focused specifically on organizations like Code Your Future, which is a coding club that's equipping excluded communities with tech skills. And while education is a huge part of this, the article points out that one of the biggest barriers to gender equality in the industry is the lack of retention of women and suggests that big structural changes are also required to achieve this goal. So Anissa Osman Britton, who's the founder of 23 Code Street, says, quote, education is just a tiny sliver of the problems we have. We need to change the entire industry culture, end quote. She suggests tweaks like providing mother's rooms and prayer rooms and payment options to get and help keep women, um, specifically Muslim women in this case, in tech. Yeah, and I also read an article that quoted Anissa Osman Britton from 23 Code Street. She spoke to computing.co.uk about how businesses can make themselves more welcoming to diverse candidates. She says that diversity is about hiring the best people for your company and making the workplace more welcoming with flexible hours, accessible offices, and equal paternity and maternity cover. I think that's so smart, not only thinking about the education pipeline and getting women into tech, but also how we're actually supporting women in tech once they're there. Um, So that is amazing. And Metis is offering four full tuition scholarships to women studying in Chicago or Seattle. Women applying for Metis's upcoming September cohorts are eligible for these Advancing Women in Data Science scholarships, which are worth $17,000 each. The press release uh, that we read states that since 2013, Metis has awarded over $800,000 in scholarships to those underrepresented in STEM careers, so go Metis. Uh, And currently around one-third of Metis graduates in Chicago are women, and almost half of the graduates in Seattle are women. Wow, Metis sounds like they're doing well on that front. And then Inverse.com interviews Code to Inspire CEO Fareshta Farrow, who founded a boot camp for women in Afghanistan, and she talks about why she teaches blockchain as part of the coding boot camp. She believes in Bitcoin to be a currency which could help bolster economic empowerment for Afghan women. Many women in the region don't have access to bank accounts, so Bitcoin is a great alternative for being able to pay them and have them be able to pay for things they need. Amazing. And speaking of women in tech, a number of companies are taking initiatives to both increase diversity in their companies and upskill their workers. Uh, and we read about a ton of actually like super high profile companies this, this month in July. So Imogen, tell us about what's happening at Twitter. Yeah, this is a cool one. CNBC reports that Twitter has launched an apprenticeship program for women and minorities to diversify their engineering and data science teams. The program is described as, quote, an opportunity for folks from non-traditional tech backgrounds to experience engineering at Twitter, end quote, and that the team wants the people building Twitter to represent those that are using it, including, quote, those that are historically underrepresented in tech, such as women, Black, Latinx, Native American, to name a few, end quote. By non-traditional backgrounds, Twitter says that includes veterans and caregivers coming back to the workforce who may be self-taught or have been to a coding boot camp. 
Twitter will initially accept 16 apprentices to the program who will rotate throughout the company's technical teams for 12 months with full employment benefits. That sounds like such a neat opportunity. I love all of those apprenticeship style programs, um, especially at a huge company like Twitter. That is really fantastic. And here's another really cool initiative that I read about this month. Uh, Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley, and Wells Fargo are all hosting three-week fintech coding boot camps in their New York City offices to help increase the representation of women and people of color in software engineering within the financial services industry. Um, those are all such huge, high-profile uh, banks and huge companies. Um, and we know that JP Morgan Chase hires a lot of bootcamp graduates already. Um, so this is a really cool one to hear about. And so far, 43 women and 37 men from the New York metro area will be a part of it. Uh, so we're really looking forward to seeing the outcome of this. Yeah, that's an awesome initiative by those banks. Very cool. And then UK company White Hat, founded by former Prime Minister Tony Blair's son, is training apprentices through partnerships with Flatiron School and General Assembly. Ewan Blair told the Evening Standard that he wants to increase the number of women and underrepresented minorities in tech, and he runs 12 to 18 month programs in partnership with coding boot camps and other organizations. And finally, just to round out this group of like, super huge companies that are doing really cool training uh, training things. On DICE, I learned that Amazon is planning to retrain 100,000 workers in tech skills through the Amazon Technical Academy and their Machine Learning University. And the programs aim to move non-technical Amazon employees into software engineering roles, and they include paid study time for employees. Okay, so we've talked a lot about the different ways that people are getting these tech skills, but once you have these skills, what sort of jobs can you get after coding bootcamp? Liz, tell us about the highest paying jobs for tech workers. Sure. Okay, so Shelly Hagen from Bloomberg put together a list of the highest paying jobs of 2019, and Imogen, guess which one is number one? I have no idea. All of these professions seem to have really high salaries. That's true. There isn't a huge variation between the top 10, but data scientists. So uh, data scientists are making $95,000 per year on average. And the list of 10 jobs that she uh, that she lists starts with UX design at $73,000 a year. And actually, if you're interested in UX design, the podcast test and release featured Flatiron School UX UI director, Aaron Fazulik, talking about the future of UX UI design. Um, and he talks about how many companies are realizing that having good UX is a competitive advantage in the market and explains what skills aspiring UX and UI designers should have. And he also has some handy tips for UX and UI designers who are already in the job. So whether you want to be a data scientist or a UX designer, uh, salaries seem pretty strong right now. And um, that's a that's a nice podcast episode if you're interested in UX. Awesome. That's really cool. And so you know you want a job in tech, and now you know which jobs pay the most, but what coding language should you use? Yahoo Finance reports that Coding Dojo researched which coding languages are used at unicorn startups valued at $1 billion and found that the most used language was Python, the most used framework was ReactJS, and MySQL and Redis tied for the most used databases. The second most popular programming language was Java. 
And that is kind of interesting that the most used language was Python, since that is a language that data scientists use, and data science was rated the top salary. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to make the highest salary, go the data science route. And if you want to learn the most used language, learn Python. Um, We're learning a lot from these surveys. But where should you start that career in tech, like location wise? I read an article in Forbes, Forbes contributor Tom Talley wrote about the results of a hired survey and the trends for developers. Um, And here are the highlights. So tech salaries in Boston jumped 9% last year. And Austin and Washington, D.C. saw 6% increases. And Hired says that according to their data, Austin is the most appealing place for tech talent to work. And also that there's something odd kind of happening in the Bay Area. And I think this is something that anyone who lives and works in San Francisco can feel, which is that tech workers feel underpaid, even though their salaries are quite high, because the cost of living is increasing, the taxes are high, and real estate prices are at all time extreme levels. So there's a lot going on in terms of location around around the tech industry. And the hired survey also shows that 31% of respondents believe that they could have this exact same job without their degree. So tech workers obviously are looking to alternative forms of education, like coding boot camps, online learning platforms. Um, so yeah, it seems like everything's kind of shaking up a little bit. And then here's a nice success story about a coding bootcamp grad. A coding bootcamp grad has founded a nonprofit tech company to help families find out if they qualify for SNAP benefits or food stamps. The Davidson News website reports that after college, Genevieve Nielsen went to the Starter League in Chicago and has since used her tech skills to co-found M-Relief after hearing a presentation about the inefficiencies related to social services. There are apparently 9 million people in the U.S. who qualify for food stamps but can't figure out if they're eligible, and so her app aims to help them. In future, Genevieve hopes to expand the app to help streamline access to other benefits. So, yeah, a really great outcome after going to boot camp. Love those success stories. And there are so many coding boot camps now, so obviously the big question is how you choose which one to go to. Uh, And in addition to reading reviews on Course Report, of course, uh, a number of articles in July gave some great insights into what to look out for. So Imogen, start us off with what NerdWallet says. Sure. So NerdWallet reporter Anna Helhoski looks at what is a coding boot camp and talks to the managing director of Coding Dojo. Anna cites a lot of course report stats about popularity, length of boot camps and salaries, etc. She also mentions graduation stats and job placement stats from boot camps like Zip Code Wilmington. And she looks at future job prospects and costs of boot camp. Anna's advice for choosing a boot camp includes doing research to make sure a boot camp is reputable, using resources like the Council on Integrity in Results Reporting, and making sure a boot camp will actually teach you the skills you need to get the job you want. That's really good advice. And on that same note, uh, U.S. News and World Report talked to Judith Eaton, who's the president of the Council for Higher Education Accreditation, about how to tell if an online degree or course is a scam. The article lists seven signs an online program may not be legitimate and what warning signs to look out for. Um, So I just want to say them here really quickly, although you can read the whole article if you want a lot more information. So here are some things to look out for. The accreditation status looks murky, 
The name seems prestigious and vaguely familiar. Earning a degree seems fast and too easy. There is no evidence of student services. The address seems fishy. Uh, there is pressure or incentives to enroll. And finally, that the program requires a lot of money up front. Those are all very useful tips. Yeah, watch out for those. And then I read a couple of articles with tips about coding boot camps in the UK and Europe. Techworld.com put together a list of online coding course providers accessible to students in the UK, including Code Institute, Flatiron School, Udemy, Free Code Camp, and more. And then the EU Startups website put together a list of what they think are the 15 best coding schools in Europe, including Academia de Codigo, Career Foundry, CodeWorks, Code Institute, General Assembly, Ironhack, and Lewagon. And a number of local Technically sites wrote about how to learn to code in each of these cities. Technically Philly put together a list of coding boot camps and tech meetups in Philadelphia, including Thinkful and the Penn LPS coding boot camp. And then Technically Delaware also put together a list of local coding resources, and so did Technically Baltimore and Technically DC. So if you're in any of those cities, those could be good resources. And then in its regular C-suite career advice column, IDG Connect interviewed the CEO of Symphony, John Christens, for advice about getting into tech. He particularly answers a question about coding bootcamp versus college, saying that having passion for a role is more important than where you got your skills. He says it's becoming less common for companies to require people to have a computer science degree, and he suggests people take internships as a powerful way to become immersed in technology skills. And finally, Jack Kinsella, a data science student at Data Science Retreat, wrote an in-depth article about what data science bootcamp is like, what it's been like for him, how he chose a data science bootcamp, and what he liked and disliked about his experience. And this reads kind of like a super long review, but it's a very in-depth account and it could definitely be helpful to other future students. Okay, next up, bootcamp updates. We have so many bootcamp updates this month, lots of new bootcamps, campuses, courses, and partnerships. So Liz, start us off with all the new Trilogy schools in July. All right, we will try to uh, zoom through these. So Trilogy has launched bootcamps at the University of Adelaide in Australia and the University of Manchester and the University of Birmingham in the United Kingdom. And then Trilogy is also partnering with the Johns Hopkins Whiting School of Engineering to launch the coding bootcamp at Johns Hopkins Engineering. And finally, Trilogy is launching a bootcamp with the University of Texas at San Antonio. And talking of university and bootcamp partnerships, there are a few other new partnerships. V School is partnering with Bryan University to launch a bootcamp, and Full Stack Academy is partnering with the University of North Florida to launch the UNF Coding Bootcamp, which starts in October. That one will be part-time and does not require attendees to be enrolled at the university. And Full Stack is also partnering with the University of San Diego to launch a cybersecurity bootcamp. Flatiron School is partnering with a local Vermont workspace where students enrolled in Flatiron's online program can study. Students will work alongside other enrolled students at the Black River Innovation Campus in Springfield, and they'll also get additional in-person tutoring and support. Students can also use Flatiron School's income sharing agreement in that program. 
And then Trade Arabia reports that artificial intelligence boot camps are launching in Ras al-Khaimah in the United Arab Emirates. The boot camps are run by Rack, a code, and include machine learning boot camps covering Python skills. Rack, a code, also plans to launch a girls in tech initiative to teach women about computer programming and AI. This is an interesting one. Latin American hospitality chain Selena has partnered with an Israeli-based tech training school called Elevation Academy to launch a destination coding boot camp in Panama. Oh, that is an interesting one. And then EU Neighbours reports that 42 Code School is opening in Armenia in Europe as part of the 42 Network. 42 is a free code school founded by French businessman Xavier Neal, which originally launched in Paris and also has a campus in California. The Armenian branch will be hosted at the campus of the EU TUMO Convergence Center for Engineering and Applied Science in the, in the country's capital city of Yerevan. And in the UK, a new coding bootcamp called the Digital Academy is launching in Cambridge. Uh, that was developed in partnership with an existing UK bootcamp called Code Nation. And then the Davidson College Online newspaper reports on the students currently taking a Summer of Code bootcamp taught by former instructors from Dev Bootcamp, Sharif Abushadi and Jesse Farmer. The article looks at how the students are learning to code for six weeks and that they get to meet successful professionals from tech companies like Facebook and Amazon. Or I just got to talk to Sharif about that program and it sounds pretty neat. So um, a lot of passion going into it. And according to Veterans News Report and Delaware Online, zip code Wilmington has been approved to receive tuition reimbursement through the VA's Vet Tech program. That Vet Tech program offsets the cost to attend zip code Wilmington and provides eligible veterans with housing stipends. Additionally, participation in the Vet Tech program does not count against GI Bill entitlement. Um, so we're seeing more and more schools get approved for that vet tech program, and we'll keep you updated on which ones do accept it. But that that program seems really cool. Yeah, I'm excited to, to hear more about schools who, who get approved for that. And then a couple of articles profiled Holberton schools campuses in different countries. Holberton originally launched in San Francisco, but now has campuses in a number of cities. Contexto.com looks at Holberton's new Medellin campus in Colombia, and the Hartford Courant looks at Holberton's campus in New Haven, Connecticut, and talks to some students and instructors there. The Detroit Free Press profiles Tech Elevator's new Detroit campus. Um, it is in the Tech Town Business Center at Wayne State. And then Explore Data Science Academy in Cape Town, South Africa, has announced they're offering free 12-month courses to 500 students in 2020. Applications are open now for applicants between 18 and 35 years of age. And finally, after all of that expansion news, we're sad to report that Level at Northeastern has closed down. All active students will continue through the December completion date as scheduled, but after training 700 students, Northeastern will no longer offer that independent data analytics course through Level. Yeah, I was sad to hear about Level closing, but you know, I suppose it's just what happens sometimes. Yes, and for every school that closes, I think probably 10 open. <laughs> so um, Imogen, do you want to tell us about the new schools that we added to the course report directory in July? Sure. 
So the Indiana Wesleyan University Cybersecurity Bootcamp launched, which is an online bootcamp. And then Source Code Developer Academy in Bridgetown, Barbados. TechLent, an online data science bootcamp. The USD Professional and Continuing Education Bootcamp, an online bootcamp powered by Thinkful. And then the Butler University Data Analytics Bootcamp in Indianapolis, Indiana. And that one is a Trilogy Bootcamp. Well, welcome to all of those new schools. Welcome to Course Report. And Imogen, to wrap things up today, let's talk about our favorite articles on the blog. Do you want to tell us about your favorite piece to work on this month? Sure. My favorite was a video tutorial we collaborated on with an instructor from Galvanize Data Science Bootcamp, Sean Reed. We visited the Galvanize campus in Manhattan and we made a video about how students can choose between learning Python or R for data science and what people need to know before they launch a data science career. It's a quick seven minute video, so it's a great watch for anyone who's interested in getting into data science. I loved that video, Imogen. I loved how you edited it, and um, we had so much fun meeting Sean and picking his brain to understand the answer to that age-old question, Python versus R. So I'm so happy we got to do that piece. And um, Imogen, do you want to know my favorite? I certainly do. Okay, cool. Well, I had so much fun interviewing Rachel Bussert, who is Epicodus's Director of Student Services, and she's been coordinating the internship program at Epicodus for over four years. Um, I talk about this all the time, but I love the internship option as an option after a boot camp. And Rachel tells us what she's learned about finding internship opportunities, the value of an internship before your full-time job search, and then how to make the most of an internship once you've landed it. And we talk a lot about Epicodus's specific internship program, but also I think this is just super helpful for anyone who's looking for an internship or a job or an apprenticeship. Um, after they graduate from a boot camp. So uh, that's also a video, so you can watch it or you can read our tips that we transcribed, however you want to get that info. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that internship piece as well, Liz. I think that's, it's so useful. And she was, you know, she was just really great in the interview as well. So passionate. Yeah. yeah. And both of those pieces we just talked about are on our YouTube channel. So you can just go to YouTube and search for course report and you'll be able to find both of those videos and all our other tons of videos there. Absolutely. Well, as always, thank you for tuning in. We will see you next month on the August Coding Bootcamp News Roundup. And we'd love feedback, so please email us at hello at coursereport.com. You can give us feedback about this podcast. We also do other ones with alumni and instructors, um, and we would love to hear about what you would like to hear on the next Course Report podcast episode. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please help other future bootcampers find it by going to iTunes or Stitcher, subscribing to the Course Support Podcast, and leaving us a review. So we will see you in August. Bye! Bye.